0: This episode of the Naturist Living Show, Fifty Years at the Ponderosa.
1: This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca
0: Welcome, dear listener, to episode number 72 of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stefan Deshane. I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. This summer, uh, the Federation of Canadian Naturists held their uh, uh, a Naturist Festival that's held every year, which is a combination of their annual general meeting, but also a festival at the same time, bringing naturists together to discuss issues and discuss naturism and what's going on in the movement. And they held it at the Ponderosa Nature Resort that 's not to be confused with the Ponderosa Sun Club in Roseland, Indiana, which we 've talked about in the past quite a while ago, which hosts the nudes a poppin event um, just to make a long story short. the nudes a poppin event is a uh, essentially a soft porn porn star gathering of people of nude people who are there to for the entertainment of largely dressed people who want to take their pictures and that kind of thing. It's a big fundraiser for the Ponderosa Sun Club, which also says they're a family nudist park. Uh, But I don't know how you can talk about nudist or naturist values in terms of body acceptance when you spend one weekend a year um, selling flesh, objectifying the body, turning uh, people into sex objects and objects of desire. Um, It goes against all the values of naturism, of ethical naturism. Um, They justify it by saying that it's only one weekend and the two are very separate, and it makes a lot of money so they can keep the other club going. Um, I guess that means the end justifies the means in this case, and I respectfully disagree with that. Uh, But we're not talking about the Ponderosa Sun Club. We're talking about the Ponderosa Nature Resort uh, in uh, just a... Outside, just a little bit west of Toronto, it's uh, really Bear Oaks and Ponderosa, the two clubs left in the Toronto area. There was also the Four Seasons Family Naturist uh, Family Nudist Resort and the Glen Echo uh, Family Nudist Park, um, both closed, and we've talked about that in the past. Because, well, because when the owners are get older and want to retire, they put it up for sale. Um, In the case of Glen Echo, it sold to a private individual who wanted to make it a personal retreat, and you can't stop that. And in the case of the the Four Seasons, it was for sale for 10 years, and the company that bought it uh, ended up turning it into a textile campground. And there's a whole story behind that, but we won't get into that right now. But we were at the Ponderosa Nature Resort uh, for the festival, and also because it was celebrating their 50 years. They had been around for 50 years as of uh, this summer of 2014. So um, we uh, I, ha- I was there. I had a great time as well. Uh, in fact, I had a great time because I didn't have anything to worry about. This was not my club. This was not my responsibility. I could enjoy myself and relax and just sit by the bar and have a drink. And when things didn't go quite right, it was somebody else's uh, issue to deal with and not mine. And that's kind of unusual, especially when it comes to naturism for me. So I had a great time, and uh, I was very pleased to see uh, Hans and Lisa Stein there as well. The The uh, current manager is uh, Lee Klaus, an owner, and she uh, she runs a very tight ship, and she does a really good job. Um, it's uh, The Ponderosa is uh, very active in terms of uh, parties and fun and bands and music, and they have a, a good time. People have a good time there. It's a good party place. And uh, she does a good job of managing all that. But Hans and Lisa Stein were actually the original founders of the Ponderosa Nature Resort uh, 50 years ago. And they were there, but they were also the former owners of the Four Seasons Nudist Resort uh, because they founded the Ponderosa. There was a disagreement disagreement with their partner, as you'll hear in a second. And then they went on and started the... uh, Four Seasons. The Four Seasons sold in 2009 on their 40th anniversary and uh, Hans and Lisa are now uh, members of the Ponderosa since the Four Seasons is now a textile campground. And so I sat down with them and asked them to share with us a little bit of the history of both clubs.
2: Well I'm Lisa Stein.
0: Hans Stein. And uh, you until not very long ago were the owners of The Four Seasons Family Nudist Park or Resort. And so, how did that happen?
2: Well, it started in 1961. Actually, it started in 1957 when we came to Canada. We came from Germany, immigrated to Canada, and nudism is very popular in Germany. You know, we have, German people have no hang ups about being in the nude. So we were looking for a place and we ran across Sun Valley Gardens. uh, How did we run across that? We we must have found out somehow. Well,
3: no, there was an open house at Sun Valley Gardens and I read in the Hamilton Spectator that there was a traffic jam and the police had to direct the traffic at that weekend. It was an open house weekend. So, So I read in the paper and I was interested if there was a nudist resort. So that's when we... One Sunday we drove down there and uh, spent a day there and then we became members and uh, stayed there for three years from 1961 to 1964. And then we saw Sun Valley Garden, (coughs) people coming all the way from Toronto, driving through Hamilton all the way to Niagara Falls, basically. So why don't we come in the Hamilton area and get the people, you know, before they drive any further, have something in our backyard in the Hamilton area. So then we searched for a property. So after a search with a friend of real estate, we found 100 acres in Beverly Township, which is all now the city of Hamilton, Flamborough, West Flamborough, East Flamborough. So we got 100 acres... We bought 100 acres. On the 1st of August, we, 1964, we closed the deal. So we paid the farmer, we made a deal. The farm was, was $15,000. And the mortgage was $100 a month. So we joined together with my sister and her husband. So the two of our two families of us we started the
0: Ponderosa Nature Resort. So 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 when you bought that land what was here was there anything? There
3: was absolutely nothing here with the volleyball and the tennis courts and all these things. This was one big field with uh, oats planted. So the farmer was farming on on this land here, which were about 10 acres around here with oats. And there was not even a road coming in here. Only could, could, the farmer could get through the bush here. With a tractor and trailer, a car could never get through here. So then we started building, building a road first. Then we did the clubhouse and the swimming pool. In 1965, three of us, we all worked night shifts in Hamilton, in the steel company, United Gas... And Otis elevator and so on. We all did night shift. In the daytime, we built a swimming pool. So we had to. It was all solid rock here, bedrock. So we had to blast that swimming pool, 14 feet deep, out of the rock, with dynamite and so on. And then we started building the clubhouse and so on.
0: So, so all the you, you've spent all this money to buy this land. Yeah, that's a lot of money back then. Like and you have n- nothing, so you have no money, you have no customers, you have no income. How did you
3: survive? When we left Sun Valley Gardens, people were not very happy at, the, at Sun Valley Gardens. We're the owner, so people came, stayed for a year and never came back. That's why we noticed, you know, there's something wrong here, why they don't come back. So There's the
2: a reason for that, too. Sun Valley Gardens opened in May, 21st of May, and closed Labor Day. Now, we thought if we're going to build something and keep it open year-round, that might be better for, for the people, you know. So they had a place to go year-round. You lose a lot of members in, uh, in the winter wintertime when you, when you close a, a facility, So they find other places to go and other things to do, and you might not get them back next May, Hmm. for whatever reason. So that was another reason why we wanted, why why people left Sun Valley Gardens to join us here.
3: So we built a clubhouse, so people had a place in the winter time to come here. We had a sauna, and we had uh, quite uh, quite right through the winter we were busy at all times in the summer with the beautiful big swimming pool we had here
0: so you bought it how long until you had the clubhouse and the pool and everything running after you bought it?
3: it only took us two years to build the pool that pool was opened in 1965 we built it in one summer three people by hand we built that pool
0: so, so we're sitting here around the pool at the Ponderosa, and it's th- the same pool from 1965. Is the, is the clubhouse the same? The clubhouse that
3: ch- is the same, except the addition, the indoor swimming pool and the rooms upstairs. Uh, my sister built it on after we left. Okay. So that was and her. Of
2: course, we first built a, a, a one-story place, you know, we... we in, in '65 we built a one-story place, and it had not a solid roof because we had intended to build a second story over, over top of it that was supposed to be our living quarters on top. So we had no roof there, and when it rained, we had to move the beds, you know, not to get <laughs> wet, <laughs> lots of times. That
3: roof, you know, was 66, leaking. In
2: 1966, I think, we stopped up the second story
3: following right, right. next to the next year yes.
0: And so were you successful Was were there members were you making money right away? Yes
3: because like I said before people were very unhappy at Sun Valley Gardens with the owners they couldn't get along you know it was really hard and they got upset and they've joined one year and the next year they didn't come back so we said well that's people coming from Toronto or from Hamilton driving all the way down there why don't we start our own club here in Beverly Township, you know, where it used to be.
0: And how did Karl Ruhl react? Was he, was he mad at you? Uh, he was
3: very mad because we took a quite a, a, a lot of people uh, right after bed, with joined with us. So we had a good start right off the beginning. We had some money coming in and we all worked in the city, yeah, except my sister Ernie. She did the housework and the cooking and so on. But all three of us, we went in the city and worked. So that helped, you know.
2: And then became, when we were here, it became another problem. We had um, intended... To get people from the public to join us, you know is it, uh, up until then, it was always nudist move from one club to another club, and we had an idea we, we should go and advertise to the general public, to the Canadians to become nudists and uh, Hans 's sister was not. Not that open-minded to this. So uh, this is how we separated, why we separated to begin with.
3: So we wanted wanted to build a club year-round and be open to the public and generate this way uh, new memberships. So that's why we separated from from Ponderosa. And we found a property which is the Four Seasons property now on the 12th Concession in Frilton. So that's, again, we started from scratch. Not quite from scratch because there was a house on it. It was an indoor swimming pool. So right away the first year, when we moved in in December 1968, we moved in, and in the winter we built right away a sauna on the outside of it. And we had an indoor swimming pool, we had one shower, we had one toilet.
2: <laughs> and we had a clubhouse.
3: The clubhouse was our living quarters, basically. So the next year, we started putting an upstairs on the clubhouse. And extended every year, we did more extension and extension. And uh, in also in '69 we built an outdoor swimming pool which we, in 1971, closed in. So we had... You get
2: in there between before you get to 71. Now, here we go again, moving people from one club to another club and missing the general public to become nudists. Now, how are you going to do that? We couldn't advertise in The Spectator or in, in any Toronto paper because they wouldn't take the... Word nudist or nature resort, not even nature resort, they would accept as an advertisement. So we did think we have to go and find a gimmick. Here it goes, the Miss Nude World Contest. Open to the public to to watch, see nudists, why for a title. Goes against all rules of nudism, because beauty is... Very unimportant in nudism, in my opinion. You know, you, you—the uh, person that counts in nudism—not not how you look, but of all things, it uh, did the trick. We could advertise. We had every media possible covering the Miss Nude World contest, including Gordon Sinclair, who was quite a personality in that time, Pierre Burden. And uh, of course, we got this all through connections to one Captain Andy, who was a friend of ours, who was uh, had a television program in Hamilton. Uh, it was called the Captain Andy Show. Yeah. So, in one year in 1970, I think we made after this contest, we sold about 100. To two hundred memberships to families at that time, we took only families in not that we discriminated against single people, but you wanted this to become which it is a family thing a family event a nudism should be a family event. It was in when I grew up in Germany, you know we i never had a hang-up about, about my body, and, and neither did my parents or any anyone else I knew. So um, there we go. Now you can go to 71.
3: Well, 71, we did the first Miss Newt World contest. 70, we 70 1970, the first Newt World pageant. So it really... We had all the support of the media... We had television. We had newspapers. It was a unbelievable. We had traffic controlled on the highway. We had to bus people in because we didn't have enough people parking. parking we rented the farm on the 6th highway, so we had to bus the people in. It was a great success. So we carried on till 1975. As every year we made a, a another kind and. The uh, contestants, we uh, got them from uh, all around the world, actually. The individual nudist resorts, they had their own little contest and then sent the lip winner to the Four Seasons for the final, for the for the Miss Nude World pageant.
2: They thought it worked for us, so they they jumped on the bandwagon. Cyprus-Kofus, first club, very, very beautiful club in Florida, who supported our contest. And lo and behold, they got the winner and they used it for all it could get them. And, uh, but after a few years, you know, this, this was supposed to be only a, a gimmick to get the media on, on our side and, and to get nude, the word of nudist clubs out there in the world. And I do believe it did work.
0: There's, at, in my club at Bear Oaks, uh, we have a poster from Glen Echo and TGS, and it's the Miss Nude World from Glen Echo that had won at Four Seasons. She That's won. right. Ronda Stella. And the poster is advertising the uh, TGSs, they were having a nudist rally. And uh, I think in 1971 is when they were having, and sh- they were featuring her on the poster. So First
3: Miss Nude World, Rhonda Stella from Toronto, from uh, TGS.
2: The FCN was already in existence at the time. We had a lot of support from them as well. They had an exhibition of some kind in Toronto. I think it was the Sportsman Show, and FCN had a booth.
0: Yeah, it was called the Canadian Sunbathing Association. Right, then.
2: right. Yeah. and Randa Stalin meant that booth. Oh. Our Miss Nude World of 1970 meant that booth in that year. And, of course, after after we got rid of, on you know, Miss Nutworld done the job and we are not in the business of running beauty contests. We were in we wanted to be in the business of running a nudist resort and spreading the word.
0: So, you, you you know, clearly uh, Karl Ruhl was not very happy, and Ponderosa, your sister, probably you were competing, yeah. but you were obviously getting along well with other clubs who were helping you.
2: We were getting along with Ponderosa too, you know, we, uh, she, she said, you do your thing and I do my thing, and uh, it worked out, it worked all wonderfully out in the end, and Today we are members here, At we are lifetime members here. Lee give us a lifetime membership, you know, after we returned, after we sold Four Seasons and we're, we're pretty happy here.
3: We brought a lot of people over here, you know, from the Four Seasons, you know. Which is not a
2: resort anymore. Not anymore.
3: <laughs>
0: so, so from the time, from 75 or so, what happened in the next few decades?
2: Absolutely, nudism nudism some cool leaps and bounds, and it was not a problem. We we got our our uh, advertising advertising done right through the whole world. Actually, they they knew in Europe where we were.
3: <laughs> we got a proper every year about a million dollars worth
0: of publicity worldwide. Free publicity. <laughs> so then you uh, eventually you decide to retire, and you sold.
3: Well, in our son died in 1968. 68. Uh, 2008. 2000, 2008. Our son Michael died of a massive heart attack. So he was very helpful in our business. He did all the office work and so on and so far. And myself, I had uh, I needed hip operations. I needed knee operations and I was not in very good shape in the wheelchair for a whole year You're down. and I couldn't uh, handle it anymore by myself and then I'm 86 years old too so there was a time to to sell to get uh, your retire
0: well I got to say you I would have never guessed you were 86 years old you you are both walking around you seem very healthy you're, yeah, you're, you're sharp. <laughs> Your mind is sharp. Are you Are you enjoying being a, 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 just a nudist now or do you miss b- being the owner of a nudist club?
2: Well, in the beginning, you miss it. You, more, I most certainly missed it. I don't know if Hans missed it, but I most certainly missed owning the Four Seasons. But uh, we've settled down. Our lifestyle is getting a little slower and we are now enjoying what we built. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, we moved onto a property only 10 minutes away from Ponderosa. Built our own swimming pool so we have our own backyard nudism, completely private, uh, no problem. But we come here to Ponderosa quite often, every week,
0: every week. So, looking back, are you glad you did it or would if you if you knew what you know now would you have started what you did again?
2: Absolutely.
3: Oh, yeah. It was it was a very hard work, but uh, it paid
0: off in the long it run. It.
3: it was worth it, yeah.
0: And if somebody's thinking of doing it, do you have any advice? Anything you would have done differently?
3: No, I don't think we couldn't have done any any better than we really did. Because we started off with basically nothing. And it's just hard work. You know, we worked seven days a week, and we worked 14, 16 hours every day. All, all of us, you know, in a teamwork here.
2: But to, to spread the word about nudism, you've got to advertise. Marketing is everything in any business, and it most certainly is in the nudist business. A lot of people say it is declining, the nudist movement is declining. I do not believe that. You've got to go out there and tell people where you are, and you've got to show them that this is clean living and family fun and nothing, uh, how do I say that, uh, nothing uh, illegal or uh, Sexual. Sexual. exploitive or whatever you want to call it. Yeah.
0: So to be fair, because I was critical of the Ponderosa Sun Club, I should mention that what uh, Hans and Lisa did in the four seasons with the Miss Nude contest that you heard them talk about was uh, also quite controversial because it certainly for them also made money. I suspect that may be where the Ponderoso Sun Club got the idea. Um, and uh, the Miss Nude World was very profitable and in some ways very good for the movement because it got it a lot of publicity. But the question is whether it was good publicity. And there's a documentary... Which unfortunately I have no idea how to get, other than through the Canadian archives in Ottawa. Uh, there's a documentary f- film that was done on that event uh, called Mondo Nude, and it was um, it also saw in the documentary that there is a, uh, a, a conflict there between the values of naturism and nudism and what was happening in the uh, Miss Nude World contest that they were hosting. So it was conf- uh, it was. Uh, certainly controversial. It certainly did raise a lot of money, allowed them to build a beautiful club with incredible facilities, and got a lot of media attention. So was it worth it? Well, um, in a, in some ways, it's not, it was not nearly as uh, salacious as the Nudes a Popping event based on the images that I see now because it's become very sexualized. This was more of a straight nudie uh, beauty contest. Um and beauty contests in the early seventies were not uncommon in a lot of naturist clubs um, because it was about also the nudity was also about the perfection of the human body and trying to achieve it and common in mainstream society they didn 't see it as a de objectification in the way we see it now, but it certainly was exploitive and there 's no question that it was not uh, in keeping with the mainstream values of naturism of ethical naturism, so definitely a conflict there. Um, And I'll let you make your own decisions on that. But I will provide a link to the summary or review of that documentary. That is online, even though I have not been able to find the original documentary online to view. If anyone, by the way, can find it, uh, I'm interested in seeing it. I think I saw it a long time ago, but uh, I'm not even sure if I saw the whole thing. So if anybody knows where to get uh, Mondo Nude, a documentary that was done uh, in Canada by... Canadian production company with some grants and support from the Canadian government, which is why it's in uh, Ottawa and the National Archives. Um, I would be very appreciative if you would drop me a note. Hi, Felicity. Hi, Stefan. How are you today?
4: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm great. Great. What's on your mind? What are you working on these days?
4: I am blogging about, uh, well, I'm working on a blog about the celebrity nude photo hack. Did you hear about it?
0: Was that the thing with iTunes, uh, not iTunes, with the iPhones or uh, the uh, the Apple yeah, cloud the thing?
4: Apple cloud. Yeah, the cloud. Okay. Yeah, um, I believe it was like early September, late August, um, some hackers hacked into the iCloud and got the nude photos of over a hundred celebrities and semi-celebrities. And they published them on the internet and distributed them to, you know, all over. So it was a huge thing. And um, I just, you know, there have been a lot of articles that came out about it. And uh, I've just, i read a lot of them and I'm kind of uh, looking at, how this whole issue was viewed and um, and how people responded to it, which wasn't very good, because <laughs> <laughs> the main response, the the biggest response, was victim blaming. Yes, and,
0: of course, as usual.
4: Yeah, and it was just ridiculous because people responded with basically like, "Well, don't take nude photos." Yeah, that was that was their response and their solution.
0: But you know what I found interesting when I heard that too is. Why is it a, a big deal because there are nude photos? Like It's just as bad if somebody stole photos of my family, personal photos that really shouldn't be spread around. I guess somehow right. there's more yeah. value to nude photos, but it's all, it's all an invasion of your personal privacy.
4: Exactly. And I'm like, what is it about nude photos that makes other people deny people's right to privacy?
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody would be saying that if uh, you know they stole your bank account information.
4: That's exactly my argument. You know, there have been major companies that have had um, hackers hack into their databases and steal their customers' information, like um, main chain store here, like Target. And people don't respond with, well, don't shop at Target and don't use credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> they don't blame the customers for that. And so it's just kind of um, ridiculous. And they, the. I mean, everybody was responding, like, with this victim-blaming thing of, like, don't take nude photos. Like, um, I heard it on the news and on any article, there's, like, 100 comments of people, you know, blaming the celebrities for taking nude photos. And even the um, digital commissioner of the European Union apparently was saying the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, You know, don't dress that way. You're asking for it. And uh, (sighs) don't walk there because you're asking for it. You know, like it's... Don't buy nice things because then people... You know, you shouldn't wear jewelry because if you wear jewelry, people will rob you. Um, You know? uh,
4: (sighs) The kind of weird thing, though, is that um, millions of people take nude photos and like nude selfies. It's not like it's an uncommon thing. It's... Very much, especially I think among younger people, you know, in the eighteen to twenty-five range, they use Snapchat and they send nude photos or sex or whatever, and they know the risks. Like I know the risks of, of sharing a photo uh, and storing it digitally and whatever, but people do it anyway because people have been doing this since like the dawn of time.
0: Well, what do you think is the solution then?
4: Well. First of all, I mean, you look to the companies like Apple, and uh, you try to be as secure as you can with your own personal information to make your account secure. But you know, you also want to hold the companies accountable for uh, making their policies clear and um, and for making their services more secure when they aren't turn out to not be very secure. Mm-hmm. and you know it's not like people aren't going to stop using this technology or not use it for nude photos so it's just kind of ridiculous um, for like the widespread message to be like don't take nude photos
0: <laughs> well I also think you know if people stopped if everybody took nude photos and they were everywhere it would be a big deal because in a way the reason that they have value is because it's a big deal like if we yeah. stop making a big deal, if we start looking at them and paying money or whatever to look at them, then it's not a big deal, right?
4: Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, but the main appeal in the photos is just that the person who took them doesn't want them to be seen. Yeah. That's that's like the whole appeal of it, I guess. Even if they're closed in the picture, it's still like a private photo that they didn't want you to see. Yeah, that's true. But um, another interesting thing is that uh, one of the celebrities who was hacked is Jennifer Lawrence, and she called the whole thing a sex crime. Mm. And um, I understand why she would call it that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a violation of their privacy and their bodies, and it's... it's um, the photos were spread around the internet and people were getting sexual gratification out of them. So it's really like, you know, exploitation and everything. But I feel like we don't even really have a word for this kind of crime that uh, that really suits it.
0: Yes, although I think in, in most of these cases, they probably are sex sexual photos, you know? Because I think most people... We, you know, and as naturists, we just take no, nude pictures because it's just normal. But I think most people, when they're taking nude pictures, there's probably a pose or maybe a little bit of action going on because they are, they, it's called sexting, right?
4: Right. I mean, a lot of the conversation has been about um, sexting. I mean, I think other people besides naturists, like, they do take nude photos that aren't sex messages or for um, like something sexy for their partner. But it's like, that's, that has been the assumption, that that's why people take nude photos. Um, and when they do, they've done like surveys uh, for people's habits with nude photos and that's what they talk about. Right. But, um, I mean it, it, I mean some of these, I didn't look at the celebrities' photos and nobody else should because you're just participating in like violating them and their privacy. Yeah, Um, But, I mean, I'm sure some of them weren't uh, very sexual kind of photos. I think Jennifer Lawrence's photos were, she had body paint on or something. Um, And, I mean, it's really just a privacy thing. And it would help if we became more accepting of nudity and it wouldn't be such a big deal. But... This whole issue—I mean, it's also about privacy, and it's also about um, people thinking that women's bodies should be like public property, and they can just take control and and um, and yeah, and just and just distribute their photos as a way to. Uh,
0: well, it's it's another form of objectification, right? It's it's another yeah. way of. Of turning human beings into commodities and body parts and and things as opposed to people and I, all of that. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's it's one of the problems with a lot of the pornography and, and you know not to get a whole discussion because people say, well, it's not, what's wrong with it? I don't think there's anything wrong with some of the erotica, but some of the porn just dehumanizes and debases people, and and that's what they're doing here. They're selling skin and people's bodies as objects. It's
4: Right, yeah, that's exactly it
0: so um, are you are you changing anything you do as a result of this thing that happened?
4: um no, I'm not
0: I mean not, not that um, your pictures was, you've got naked pictures that aren't in private places at all, they're very public, so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: yeah i mean, i have I have public nude photos that I have, but I have private nude photos also that I don't want to share with the world and I've stored them on my iCloud and I'm glad that Apple has made the iCloud um more secure in response to this whole thing.
0: Yeah, and I you know what, I have clothed new photos of me that I don't want shared with the world either. Same thing, you know? It's not, right, it's not
4: exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not an issue of like whether people are proud of themselves or not, or anything like that. Um but no I'm not I'm not gonna change anything that I do, but I mean, I hope that uh, this will become less of an issue and that app, you know, other services like Snapchat will make their services as as secure as possible so they can't be hacked. Um, Because it's just, it's just like a terrible violation and and these hackers and these companies like need to be held accountable, not the people taking new photos.
0: So that's all for this episode of The Nature's Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, you'll find links to all the items I mentioned about in the show notes on the website at naturistliving.barrokes.ca. You can send me emails at naturistliving.barrokes.ca. One word at bareoaks.ca, bare of course because NCA because we are in Canada I read everything I don't I can't respond to them all um, because I get too much email uh, but I do read everything but you don't have to send an email you can actually record a comment and then I might include you in the show. All you have to do is call and uh, you can call by phone or by Skype if you call by phone it's area code 905 country code one if you're outside uh, North America. Area code 905 473 6060, which is the main phone number for Bear Oaks Family Nature's Park. And the extension for the Nature's Living Show is 333. You can also call toll free 1 888 373 9124, again, extension 333, or for free through Skype. Our Skype name or number is Bear Oaks, one word, B A R E O A K S, no space. And that puts you in the main phone system for Bear Oaks again, and you can just dial the uh, Naturist Living Show's extension, which is three three three. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of the Naturist Living Show.
1: This episode of the Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca.